Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 82, Getting Unbusy with author Dr. Garland Vance. My doctor looked me in the eye, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Garland, I'm concerned for your life because stress is killing you. Hi, this is Tony Colson, author of Unlocking Your Divine DNA, and I help people achieve excellence and live a life of greatness. Dr. Brad Miller does the same thing by teaching you how to achieve peace, prosperity, and purpose right here on the Pathway to Promise. You're on the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes every person has a God-given, promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and that you must have a plan and a guide to get there. The Pathway to Promise podcast not only is your guide through the wilderness of depression and disappointment that stand between you and your promised life, but also brings you insights and direction from inspiring, successful thought leaders who have transformed their lives. Welcome to the Pathway to Promise. Now, here's Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. What an honor. What an incredible privilege it is to allow me to join you today in whatever activities you are going through through today. We are here at the Pathway to Promise to help you to speak into your life a word of encouragement and hope to help you overcome adversity to achieve your promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We do that through some of the teaching and leadership that I bring to bear. I have 40 years of ministry in the church and have a doctoral degree in transformational leadership. And I like to teach and, and, and speak into your life from time to time. But I also like to bring on great guests, great guests who can speak into your life. And today we have Dr. Garland Vance with us, who's going to talk about getting unbusy. But first, I did want you to know that uh, at Pathway Promise, we have a website, pathwaypromise.com. There you can find back episodes of the podcast, lots of other great authors and leaders who can speak into your life and help to give you a word of encouragement and hope. And we have a free gift for you there, the four-minute way to plan your day. Hope that you go there and pick that up. Busy, busy, busy. Have you ever had the feeling that you were just so busy you didn't know what to do with yourself? Or perhaps we have felt just overwhelmed by all the things we have to do in life, at the job, at home, in our office, in our business, if we have a business, with our family, uh, with all the distractions that come from social media and keeping up with the news, and world events, and our health, and working out, and eating right, it can all seem to be so incredibly overwhelming, and we can stay, if we choose to, busy all the time. But Dr. Garland Vance, our author friend today, says that busyness can kill you, so you need to kill it before it kills you. And he speaks out of his own personal experiences about how he was overwrought, and and overwhelmed by business in his life, and he had to get a handle on that. He had to put away the sense of being busy. 
Now, he wants us to know that being busy is not the same as being fulfilled. And in our life, we can be distracted, exhausted, and overwhelmed. And we never seem like we have not, we always seem like we just don't have enough time. So today we're going to have a great conversation with Garland about unpacking what he believes are five things that we can do to take control of the business of our life and to have much more fulfillment and actually much more time to accomplish what is really important in life. You're going to love this conversation with Dr. Garland Vance, the author of Getting Unbusy. As we have Garland Vance with us. Garland Vance is an author of the newly released book, Getting Unbusy. And it, you can find that at gettingunbusybook.com. That's G-E-T-T-I-N-U-N-B-U-S-Y-B-O-O-K.com. So you make sure you get the spelling right there, and we'll talk about that. Garland has been helping people and teams get clarity in there about their lives and their leadership. He's been doing that for over 20 years. He's an author and a speaker and a consultant. He has a has a great wife named Dorothy, and he is at, he co-founded an organization, Advanced Leadership, and he has a um, it is all about helping people overwhelm who are overwhelmed to become influencers and live their life with purpose and productivity and with peace. And he is a senior consultant with SWAS Leadership. He has a doctorate in leadership and spiritual formation for Denver Seminary. And he is especially in his research and his doctoral degree was the study of busyness. Uh, apropos topic, welcome to Pathway to Promise, Dr. Garland Vance. Hey, thanks so much, Dr. Brad Miller. It is great to uh, to be here. Thanks for, for having me, and I'm excited to talk with you and to share with your listeners about uh, busyness and purpose, productivity, and peace. It is such an appropriate thing to talk about here, Garland. I literally just, just a little while before we uh, got together to have a conversation here, I have a 21-year-old son who's starting his senior year of college, and he... Uh, left the house here not too long before we chatted. And the topic of our conversation was how busy he is and how busy <laughs> his life is with he's getting ready to start classes and moved into a new place and he has a part-time job at the university bookstore and social life and all kinds of other things that he's in. And he just felt, he was talking about how overwhelmed that he felt in his life and how busy that he is common refrain. I think a lot of folks busyness. What's busyness? Define it for us, Garland. What is that? Sure. So I define busyness as an overcommitment to too many good commitments. So let me unpack that just a little bit. Uh, all of us who are overcommitted, uh, whether that's your son, whether that's a CEO or a stay-at-home parent, uh, everybody I know who's overcommitted, they're overcommitted because they have so many good commitments. School is good. Church activities are good. Work is good. Family is good. You know, everything we're doing is good, but when you put it all together it becomes too much. Uh, it's kind of like when I was in middle school and I would go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and all of the food on the buffet was good, but by the end of the meal, I would feel sick. 
because too many good things put together become bad. And that's what busyness is. Mm. How has that uh, impacted your life, my man? How has that, uh, you said that impacted that episode of the buffet you're talking about there. But I got a feeling that maybe been some um, larger uh, life events that have happened here in life that you've had to deal with to overcome in some form or another. How has being too busy put some uh, blocks or some uh, hampered your life in some way? Sure. So it was uh, about five years ago that I went to a doctor's visit with some uh, pretty serious physical problems. I've always been in good health, but I was having uh, four chronic problems that I wanted to talk to my doctor about. Uh, the first was I was having uh, chronic migraine headaches, uh, three or so migraine headaches per week. And it would be where I would come home uh, and have to go to bed and sleep you know, through the night uh, because I was in so much pain. So I was having those these migraine headaches. Uh, I was having severe forgetfulness where uh, I would have conversations with people, walk away from those conversations, and the next day they would reference them, and I would have no idea what they were talking about. Uh, third problem I was having is I was having heart palpitations. I would be sitting at my desk uh, checking email, and all of a sudden my heart would start racing. I would start pouring sweat. Uh, and then finally, I was having uh, uh, just extreme exhaustion where I would wake up exhausted, go to bed exhausted. Uh, and I've always been a very energetic person, and I just didn't have anything left in me. And so I went to the doctor, and, um, and I was really concerned about what was going on. I wasn't sure if there, you know, is there some kind of tumor that's affecting me? Uh, is, you know, is there the forgetfulness? Is this early onset Alzheimer's? I was really concerned. And the doctor asked me to describe my life. And as I described my life, I told him uh, about the 60 hour work weeks that I was doing. Uh, I was working uh, 60 hours with a uh, Chick-fil-A's nonprofit, uh, one of Chick-fil-A's nonprofits. I was leading it. Um, so I was doing that. I had just started working on my doctoral program. Uh, I had three young kids at home. I was helping uh, uh, create some uh, discipleship training for for our church. Um, and a year earlier, my mom had had passed away. And so all of these, you know, these commitments that I was involved in, and they were all really good commitments. And my doctor looked me in the eye. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Garland, I'm concerned for your life because stress is killing you. Mm, wow. And and so you, and had, I, some, you had some really these, the physical health manifestations of your stress and your busyness was impacting you on a much deeper level than you really appreciated until you went to the doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And when he told me that, I, you know, he said, your stress is killing you, I, I actually got very frustrated with him because I didn't consider myself a stressed out person. And so I said to him, I said, I, I don't feel stressed out. And he said, well, your head does three times a week. And that big wake up call for me. And so I, I said to the doctor at that time, why, why do you think I'm stressed out? And he said, because you're so busy. And my response, Brad, was, well, yeah, I'm busy, but everybody's busy. In fact, ask anybody on the street how they're doing and they're going to tell you that they're busy. I'm no, you know, I, I know that I'm busy, but so is everybody else. And he, again, looked me in the eye and he said, I know everybody's busy and it's killing us all. 
And uh, it was a wake up call for me. And uh, and I didn't believe him at first. I, I really said, no, I got to do some research around this to, to make sure my doctor's not crazy. Yeah, you th- uh, sound like you might have thought he was maybe even speaking some sort of a metaphysical terminology or, you know, just an example, you know, like uh, 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 an extreme example. You know, you're killing yourself might have kind of be thought of it out of a uh, a way that you were just an example of that, but he was really talking about physically healthy was killing you. Right. You were going to die. You know, right. Yeah. He's, he's looking at me and saying, if, if your way of life doesn't change, physical death is not like, he wasn't exaggerating. Mm -hmm. Physical death will be the result. Yeah. Do you think that's the case for a lot of folks, Garland? Yeah. If you know, so it's, it's interesting, Brad, what I ended up doing is I started researching it and I was working on a doctorate at, at the time. And so I started researching the effects of busyness and what busyness does to leaders. And, um, and I, I can tell you that the effects of busyness are profound. It's, it has been linked to, uh, colitis, diverticulitis, to, uh, diabetes, to, uh, major, uh, stress migraine headaches or, or shoulder tension. It's even been linked to, uh, Kiroshi, which is, um, death by overwork. And in Japan, there are people who are overcommitted so much that they've created a term for these people who drop dead at their desk. Uh, and it's death by overwork and, and it's a result of an overcommitment to too many good commitments. And, and and what's crazy is is it's not just physical problems. Uh, in in my research, I I found there's emotional problems, relational problems that result uh, from it. There are spiritual problems that come about. There's uh, a, a diminishment of a, our productivity, and there's even whole organizations who are so overcommitted and busy that it's actually hurting the bottom line for them, and it's hurting their customer service. So it it's really uh, kind of an epidemic. In fact, some people call it, uh, some people have said that busyness is the new smoking. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, so you know, culture, isn't it? Our culture has a lot to do with the expectations of being busy. And of course, with social media and, and uh, the pressures of our workplaces and so on, there's always an expectation to produce, produce, produce. Yeah. It just continues to put stress on us. And, uh, and we, we have to take what I'm hearing you say is that we, this can either happen to us and let it happen to us, or we can take some control of this. And it sounded like you chose to take some control in your circumstances. Yes. So I'd like to be, I'm interested in hearing, you know, I know you've done a lot of research on this, but I find a lot of research often stems from our own personal experiences. And tell me a little bit about your personal experience, what some of the things you did then sure. in reaction to that doctor's visit what did you do then to counteract? You said you did some studies about it, but I'm right. also interested in how you implemented what you learned, what you chose to do then. Right. Yeah. So I had to go through uh, some uh, some steps, and it wasn't until after taking them that you really begin to, to realize what you did. Uh, but the first step that I had to take is I had to decide that busyness was not worth it, that it wasn't worth the toll it was taking on my body. It wasn't worth the effect that it was going to have uh, on my friends, on uh, the work that it was doing on my family. So I had to decide and really put a stake in the ground and say, that's it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to learn to beat this. Uh, and then the second step that I had to do is I had to begin deconstructing some of the the beliefs I had and the inhibiting beliefs in particular that were keeping me stuck in busyness. And, and what I found is I had 
three inhibiting beliefs, and that was I need to be more, uh, and therefore I need to do more, and as a result of that, I need to get more. And, uh, and that getting more wasn't for me uh, physical things. It was experiential uh, opportunities. And so um, I, I had to deconstruct some of these false beliefs that, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. My value is found in what I accomplish. And even though I had taught people for years through my, my, my ministries that – that that was not true, you know, that our value is found in uh, the fact that we are children of God. Even though I taught that, I didn't practice that in the way that I, I uh, acted. Uh, and so once I began to deconstruct some of those uh, inhibiting beliefs, then I had to deconstruct some overcommitments and some unwanted commitments that I had um, and uh, really began to strip away commitments that were – uh, not life-giving to me, uh, things that I had said yes to that I shouldn't have said yes to or that I didn't need to say yes to and really had to go through a lot of, of soul-searching of I've only got limited time and limited energy and how much am I going to to give, uh, you know, what am I going to give that time and energy yeah, Garland, to? Was, was this simply a matter of setting priorities or there were, was there something deeper here than that? Tell me about how yeah. you kind of – how you did this, how you sorted out these things. So as, you, as you said, you had a lot of good stuff going on, but how did you actually do it? How did you actually sort right. things out? Right, yeah. So for me, it wasn't so much about priorities as it was about boundaries. Um, you know, I, I had taught lots about time management and read a lot about time management, and so I knew how to create priorities. But what I think most people do is uh, is we create – not one or two priorities, but we identify our top 10 priorities or 15. And so part of it was having to minimize the number of priorities that I had. But the other part of it was really about building some boundaries into my life where I would say, you know, at this time every day, my work ends. I'm done. I, I'm not going to pick up the the phone. I'm not going to look at the computer. I'm not going to respond to email. My work ends at this time. And then having three young kids at home, um, having to do the same thing at home. And, and so our family decided at 9 p.m. every night, we're done. Even if we're not finished with everything, we're done. And, you know, the dishes will still be there. Things will still be dirty, but we've got to care for ourselves. Um, and so setting boundaries was a huge part and then implementing uh, some some very intentional uh, rest and slowing down practices were also a huge part uh, of that. Learning to walk more slowly, uh, talk more slowly, uh, which I still struggle with that. Right. I still talk pretty fast. Uh, but uh, but all of that became just a, a very intentional slowing down of life uh, and what was crazy is how much more I actually started accomplishing because my mind and my body were slowing down enough to pay attention. Hmm. That's awesome. It's that, so those are some intentional actions that you took, the slowing down, the quitting things, even when they weren't done at 9 o'clock, for instance, and the stopping work. Those are some intentional things. But you mentioned an aspect here that I'm interested in. Uh, that you just touched on there briefly there, Garland. You mentioned about some kind of a spiritual element of this. I'm interested, yeah. I'm interested in uh, how that comes into play here. What kind of a higher power, what kind of a uh, resource beyond your own wherewithal did you draw upon to help you 
enact this new lifestyle. Right. Yes. So, uh, so I am a, a follower of Jesus Christ, and uh, and so part of that was I started going to the Bible to understand, you know, what does the Bible say about speeding up and slowing down? And what I realized is there aren't a whole lot of times in the Bible when God tells people to go faster. But he really tells people to slow down, whether it's taking a Sabbath or uh, whether it was, you know, uh, taking an entire year off with the year of Jubilee. And, and so I knew that I needed him and really needed to lean on him, uh, him very strong. Now, what I discovered in in getting unbusy is getting unbusy is not um, the process of it is not uh, even written. I didn't even write it as if it's a religious book. It's really written for for anyone, but I but there is a critical element in which you've got to realize that any addiction, and in my case it was an addiction to commitment, and uh, any addiction necessitates a higher power in order for you to deal with it and and struggle through it. And so I leaned on his energy a whole lot to help me slow down. Interesting that you term you term something that so many people considered such a just kind of a given in life, the busyness and the pressures, you're terming it an addiction, which indicates that it is something that has a physiological aspect and that you have to part. And most of us know whether it's 12 step programs or whatever, an aspect of dealing with this physiological addiction is drawing on some higher power. Yeah. And there is a physiological element to it, Brad. Whenever we encounter stress, our body releases adrenaline and cortisol because of the the sympathetic nervous system. And adrenaline and cortisol make us feel good. They give us energy. They uh, they help us to focus on you know what's right in front of us. Adrenaline and cortisol feel really good. The problem is that our bodies are designed once we've dealt with the stress to uh, to wash that adrenaline and cortisol out using the parasympathetic nervous system. Well, what busyness does is it. it creates stress, which releases adrenaline and cortisol, which gives us the energy that we need, but then it introduces almost immediately another stressor into our lives, which releases the adrenaline and cortisol again. And so we, when I say busyness addicts, we really are a society of adrenaline and cortisol addicts. And all the physical symptoms that I listed earlier are, are the result of uh, adrenaline and cortisol overload in our bodies. And so it, we, are, we are physically addicted to it, and it is tearing us apart. Sure. Well, part of addiction, of course, is that constant need for stimulation, you know, and then yes. if you don't get the stimulation, then you have the crash, and then you have the other aspects of it, the depression and all the things that go along with that, and, and people then seek out that stimulation again. And so what you're describing really is the classic – a cycle of uh, mm-hmm. uh, of an addiction. So part of that, part of this, yeah. the process of you you have to identify the problem, which you did by going to your doctor and and you're you're sharing with uh, with your readers of your book how to do some of that. And you shared here now about having calling upon a spiritual force, spiritual power is a part of this process. Let's talk now about your emotions and about people in your life who you impact and are impacted by 
your addiction to busyness. You you shared about your uh, your children, for instance. Mm, Let's sure. talk about the importance of loving relationships to fuel this change. You know, to help setting those priorities. What is the role of relationships in helping you get a handle on this addiction to busyness? Yeah, I think that uh, for me, a big part of relationships was beginning to value relationships, even if I couldn't see an immediate payoff to it, uh, and beginning to spend time with people that I loved, but also people who energized me. Um, and uh, so, so I loved my kids, and I wanted very much to be around for their lives for much longer. But but my youngest my young kids at that time were were also uh, tiring. And, you know, there were there were days of where they were part of the reason for exhaustion because little kids require so much care. And what I uh, started doing is I, I would I wanted to care about them and I wanted to beat busyness for them. But I also needed to. Uh, begin investing in relationships with people that I loved and who energized me. And so I would begin, uh, I started meeting with a group of, of guys who uh, once a week we would go out, we would get uh, Chinese food together, and we would talk about theology and about leadership and about sports and about fun things like that. And I would walk away from that feeling energized and strengthened. And that would give me the resolve that I needed to continue beating busyness. And so when I was too busy, I didn't have time for, for relationships, right? There was so much that I was doing that I didn't have time for deep relationships. But as a result of getting unbusy, uh, I had more time for those deep relationships and those relationships helped fuel my commitment to get and to stay unbusy. Yeah, that that's awesome. And that, uh, also, I believe a piece when you have to get together with other folks you mentioned about some of your colleagues and friends there. That helps hold you accountable if you have a right type of relationship that can help to uh, fuel you properly. You know, some people Absolutely. have you know, some people have that type of relationship with their spouse, or some people with their own children even, or they have been able to frame their relationship with their kids or other people in such a way that they can leverage uh, kind of appropriate accountability, even appropriate guilt at times to uh, help to drive forward the positive things, the positive changes that we need instead of just being, you know, driven by, you know, regret and guilt and things like right. that. Uh, right. We need to see the positive sides of those relationships. And sounds like you uh, leveraged a lot of that and you encourage your readers to, to do the same. In, in yes. Book. Yeah. yeah. Relationships. And in, in fact, towards the end of my book, I, I talk about how do you draw in your family? How do you draw in your friends? And how do you draw in your coworkers to unbusyness? Because uh, what, what I found with uh, people that I was working with is they would they would beat busyness, but then they would look at their lives and all of their friends around them would still be overcommitted and, and stressed out. And so you, you've got to lean on those people as you're going through the process of, of getting unbusy. But you also have to then draw in other people uh, into your unbusyness so that they can begin to experience the the purpose and the productivity and the peace that comes as a result of it. Yeah, I love to hear that purpose and productivity and peace because I think what's what a lot of people are really seeking 
uh, Garland, see what you think is, you know, they have a sense of they're busy, 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 but they still may have a sense of their life. What's it all about? Why, why mm -hmm. if they if I'm so busy and so much stimuli going on, why do I feel like my life or my relationships are so empty or meaningless? And right. Then people are seeking meaningfulness. And many times the answer to that is not in uh, more and more stimuli. It is in uh, slowing down and doing the other the other uh, uh, tactics and disciplines that you advocate here. Yeah. 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 So, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, if you think about uh, even if you have kids or if you have grandkids, if you're in this mode of hurry, worry, and scurry with you know with the grandkids, they're all around you, and and you're moving so fast and bossing them around, and you're trying to get somewhere, you don't appreciate the those those kids but it's when you get down on the floor and you play with them and you get eyeball to eyeball and knee to knee with those kids that you you enjoy them and they enjoy you and i think that's a big part of it is we're looking for meaning in our lives and significance and the way that we're doing it is by filling our calendars so full that we can't appreciate the the little enjoyments of life we can't even slow down enough to uh, to stop and smell the roses as yeah. the old things. Sure. Well, that's very true. And as it's uh, been shared, you know, I've heard this said and preached it myself in funerals and such that uh, almost nobody at the end of their life cares how much time you spent in the office or how much time you spent being busy. They just care about how much time you spent in uh, in relationships. Those those as you said, the eyeball the eyeball and the need to need moments. Those special moments. And there's if you think about it in your life, there's really nothing better than those intimate relationships that, 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 that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now the question is here, Garland, how do we get there? We've sure. identified the problem. We have, we've shared about some of the ways that we can take some action. And But what you're all about is being helpful to other people who are readers of your book and of your leadership programs. Yeah. What are some ways? Because this, I, I believe you're right, Garland, that this is an epidemic thing, mm. you know. It's 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 impacted me personally and my own family. I shared about my son a little bit earlier. Right. Certainly in the the circles I'm in, lots of busy professional people and all kinds of things. But how do we uh, impact people's lives to help them get this turned around and be at the same time slow down, but also understand they're being productive. They're getting some, some, some stuff done. What are some what are some things that people can do? Help us out here, Garland. What are some sure. actions that we can take? Right. So I, I would say so I have five steps that I that I've identified and I, I mentioned a couple of these already. But but the first one is you have to decide you have to decide that busyness isn't worth it and that you're going to beat busyness no matter what. Uh, and then the second is you've got to begin to deconstruct these inhibiting beliefs that you have. Uh, some of the bad habits that you have for for example, one bad habit is we say yes to other people too quickly and we've really got to strengthen our no muscle um, and then we need to deconstruct some unwanted commitments. Uh, what I found uh, so I, I take people in my book and in my courses I take them through uh, an exercise that helps them identify activities that they want to uncommit from and what their next action is for that. And what I found is when people do that, they almost immediately get back 10 hours a week in their lives uh, because they are so overcommitted to things they don't even want to do. Uh, 
so once you deconstruct things, then the third step is you uh, begin to design. You design the pace and that you want to live at, and you design margin into your life. Uh, you design your life around relationships and recreation and rest and reflection that I call the core four. Um, and then you design your life around your dreams and your priorities. And so then the fourth step is you begin to develop. And this is where actually time management finally begins to come in. And but it's how do you develop an unbusy mind and unbusy calendar and unbusy habits? And then the fifth step is you draw other people in to it, your friends, your family uh, and your your coworkers, because when when a leader begins to live at an unbusy pace, it has a ripple effect on those that whether that's a leader of a family, you know, a leader within a friend group or a leader of um, of of a workforce. When you begin to slow down, it has a ripple effect on the people around you. Hmm. That's awesome. I, I I picked up on what you shared there about this continuum with these five steps here, how the calendar management part of it is actually the fourth step, not the initial step. Because a lot of people think, well, i got to get control of my time. That means i got to calendar stuff. That means I could get more rigid in how right. I do, do my time management. And that's a, a piece of it, but that's only one one piece of it. you got to do the uh, – the work ahead of time, and then also see the legacy part of how you share that with others. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. So what yeah. what speak to you about, and what you hear reflect now about that kind of that legacy part, about that, the next steps here. I'd like for you to share with me, if you will, try to put, put in your mind's eye or maybe your own experience about people you know, not yourself now. You've talked about how you mm-hmm. kind of uh, manage this on your own, but other people you've worked with or people you know, who have been able to implement some of your teaching or as some form or another have made some transition in life and some transformation to uh, have a little more quality, a little more peace in their life and prosperity, as you said. Tell me sure. about someone you've worked with. Yeah, so uh, so th- the list is long, fortunately. Um, one of those that I'm that I'm most proud of is is uh, a a friend who was with me in the beginning of this journey. Uh, her name is Jessica, and uh, Jessica is a mom to five. Uh, her husband is an ER doctor, and Jessica, like me, was uh, is a Type A personality who really goes after you know goals and dreams, and uh, she's just a go getter. And as we began to talk about busyness, about slowing down, about, about taking time off. Over the course of, for her, it, it you know, it took a couple of years because I was formulating the ideas as we were, uh, you know, a, as she and I were, were talking. But what I've seen is uh, they've replaced uh, crazy, hectic uh, evenings with family time that is rich and meaningful and has has good discussions uh, in in the evening with with kids. Um, She told me recently that they've decided to to uh, get rid of all Saturday commitments and just be together as a family on Saturdays and bring other families over to spend time uh, with them to enjoy football uh, together. Um, So I'm I'm really proud of of Jessica. Um, and I, I would say I'm proud of uh, another person who is uh, named Scott, and Scott's the, the CEO uh, of his own organization. He's an entrepreneur. 
entrepreneur and I've been able to, to work with him. And, and what I've seen Scott do is he's gone from this nonstop pace of constantly putting pressure on himself to do more, do more, do more, but not do any of it really, really, really well. And now he is an entrepreneur of his own business. His business is doing amazing. He, he and his wife have, have four kids, and he's making very intentional time uh, to be with them. And he's still a, a go-getter. He's still a type A personality, uh, but he's a type A personality who's learned to live at a slower pace with a lot more, more grace in his life. Yeah, that's awesome. When you have that, you have that peace of what yes. you, you've, you've spoken of, and that is incredibly valuable. And yet, and also we know that for every uh, Scott and Jessica that there are there that we have in the world, there's lots of other folks who have the need and have the yearning. They know their life is not quite in balance, and they want to seek yeah. out some leadership and some direction that I know that you offer through your book, uh, Getting Unbusy, and also through your your company, Advanced Leadership. Yes. Tell yes. us, tell us how that you might be able to be helpful to folks, or how folks can take. If someone out is in our listening audience who wants to take the next step, either with you or somehow another, what would be a first step to do to get unbusy, to get some control of this chaos in their life? Yeah, so I would say, you know, part of the irony of of writing a book about busyness is that busy people don't have much time to read. Uh, and so uh, so if you're a reader, then I would say a great first step would be to uh, look up getting uh, there's no G on the end of that getting unbusy um, or another option is to go to gettingunbusybook.com and uh, you can contact me there. Uh, I in addition to the book, I also uh, have an online course. I do coaching uh, for people, and I'll even uh, I do consulting with entire companies where I, I'll work with them to slow down the entire company uh, as a whole. And uh, so, um, but I would say gettingunbusybook.com. Um, and uh, just as an FYI, uh, people can actually download six free chapters there uh, so that they can check it out before they buy it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, of course, just to kind of remind her to all of us that when we talk about getting unbusy, it actually does not mean becoming unproductive. It actually has the opposite effect. It can help us Absolutely. even be more productive. So if we're thinking that the, uh, you know, the end result is to get more done, you get more done oftentimes by slowing down. So yes. awesome, good, uh, good work here that we will uh, commend to you, Dr. Garland Vance, who's the author of Getting Unbusy and and we can find more about him at gettingunbusybook.com. Thank you for being our guest today on the Pathway to Promise podcast, Dr. Garland Vance. Awesome interview, awesome conversation we were able to have today with Dr. Garland Vance, author of Getting Unbusy. Getting Unbusy, the book.com is where you can find it. He also... Uh, he also blogs at garlandvance.com. Hope you picked up on some great things that he shared with us today. I hope you picked up on the five points that he made about how you can get unbusy in your life, the five steps and why they're critical. If you need to, go back and re-listen to the podcast episode, or you can get the transcript at pathwaypromise.com as well, and you can read that. Now, what about are some of the benefits in your life about getting unbusy and how when you get unbusy, you 
can have more opportunities to feed, to uh, help other people and how when we if we don't get unbusy that our pro- productivity will actually go down and he taught I hope you heard about his own story about he had his own times of mental and even physical anguish and he had to be able to be actually called called on the carpet so to speak about how his busyness was killing him let's not let busyness kill you my friends let's know that in your life that you have a purpose in life that you have a promised life of peace prosperity and purpose but in order to get there it's actually a wilderness experience and in that wilderness experience sometimes it feels like we're overwhelmed and we're busy all the time but let's get our priorities straight let's make sure that we understand that we do have a promised life, and to get there, we have to have a pathway to follow. And that involves bold action. It involves drawing on a higher spiritual power. It involves being fueled by loving relationships. and involves having the self-discipline to take the actions that we need to take in order to accomplish our promised life. That's what I believe that is there for you. And that's some of the teaching that Garland Vance gave to you as well is about how to, to set aside the busyness of life and have peace in your life. Here at the Pathway to Promise, we're here to be helpful to you to offer a message of hope and encouragement. You can always go to pathwaypromise.com and pick up some of our back episodes of the Pathway to Promise podcast. And we have a free gift for you there, the four-minute way to plan your day for success. You can go there and pick that up. I'm Dr. Brad Miller. It is always a joy to serve you, to serve you. And it is our purpose here to speak into your life a word of promise a word that you have a promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and you have an opportunity to go for it. So until next time, friends, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. Thanks so much for taking the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. As a subscriber, you'll be a vital part of the Pathway to Promise community. Visit us on the web at pathwaypromise.com. Until next time, remember to stay on your Pathway to Promise.